0: Supremes nothing personal word of the date is Supremes as in Diana Ross and the Supremes as in your favorite song and mine wait for it stop in the name of love before you break my heart think it all over think it all over stop why is that the word of the day who's paying attention to the orlando nba bubble anyone how about rashawn holmes let's tell you what happened a couple days ago rashawn holmes a center for the sacramento kings got caught leaving the nba bubble when you leave the nba bubble You have to, when you come back into the bubble, re-quarantine for 10 full days in your room. Rashawn Holmes crossed what they called the bubble line. People all over were crying, stop, don't cross that line. It reminded me of the great movie Field of Dreams with Archibald Moonlight Graham playing by a young, uh, uh, what, the, the, uh, the actor's name, Coca, is Joanne Waller um, Kilmer's brother, Frank Wally, the guy who is eating the burger in Pulp Fiction, the great juicy burger who gets shot by Samuel Jackson when he recites the biblical verse, the big kahuna burger. I think is what it's called. He plays a young Archibald Moonlight Graham who has to cross over a line to save Gabby Hoffman as a child actress. Kevin Costner and Amy Madigan, Ed Harris's wife, their child in Field of Dreams. He crosses over the line. He goes from a young man back to an old man played by Burt Lancaster. I thought of that as I was picturing Rashawn Holmes crossing the bubble line. Do you know when you're crossing the line? Is there a painted line on the pavement somewhere where you say, ooh, I'm crossing. I am making a deliberate cross right here. Who saw him? Who blew the whistle? The snitch line remains unused. Remember the NBA snitch line? It's my favorite. It's what you do when you see an NBA player not behaving. You call 1-800-I'M-A-SNITCH and they get in trouble. But the NBA released a statement saying, the stitch line has not been used. All right, could it be a security guard? Could it be the front desk guy, the bellman? Could it be the housekeeper? Who could it possibly be who would tell on Rashawn Holmes? Did he come out and say, I crossed the line, I need to self-quarantine, it was my bad, my fault. I'm turning myself in, a culpa. He went to pick up food. On Nothing Personal, we've talked a little bit about the quality of food. We talked about the quality of rooms with Rondo yesterday, thinking it was a Motel 6. We talked about the quality of food with the packaged food in quarantine. But there is something called delivery services. When you're at Disney, they will deliver to you. There are restaurants all over Disney. Any sort of name brand, big box, crappy restaurant, you will find in and around Disney World. And you have an easy, easy way to get food. All you have to do when you're missing, let's say under the worst scenario that Rashawn Holmes was hungry, he wasn't getting enough food, and he said, I need more. The room service isn't doing it. I want to order in. So what he does is he calls and he calls for delivery. Instead, what he did is he called for pickup. Now, he got in trouble, not just with the NBA, got in trouble with his mom. That's how serious this was. His mom tweeted at him. By the way, can you imagine how funny that is when you're tweeting at your child? Why not just call your child or text your child or somehow be in contact? But to communicate maybe through DMs, are they private DMs? Or was it like a public tweet? Or maybe it was a joke that she tweeted, but she had actually called him after he got in trouble. But his mom tweeted and said, don't you cross the line. You only cross the line for mama's cooking. And I'm not in Florida. That makes me laugh, but that doesn't help Rashawn. So what's the NBA going to do about this? They knew in advance that players were going to have a hard time not crossing the line. So they had a rule that the Players Association has now agreed to that during this practice period, anyone who crosses the line, 10-day quarantine, but that's it, no further punishment. But if someone crosses the line once games start, rot rope you lose 1% of your salary. Now, Coca, that doesn't make much sense to me. That'd be a fine, maybe. But if you cross the line and then can't play in games, why don't you find the amount of your game salary? And does the NBA and the NBA Players Association truly believe that Rashawn is the only guy to have crossed the line since they got into quarantine? It's a free-for-all. And what does it mean, crossing the line? I understand that you can golf. Remember the early, the early rules It was very important that you can golf. And it's also important that they could eat. They could eat outdoors. There were certain restaurants. There were all of these rules and protocols, which means that Holmes chose a restaurant outside of those protocols, which means the line is outside of those boundaries. How the hell would he know where it is? There are a lot of questions that need to be answered. I guess I would say this. For the bubble to work, forget people criticizing right now because Florida has the most new cases. It has more new cases, more deaths, more hospitalizations. It's, it's, it's unbelievable down here where I do nothing personal from. Uh, people are, really don't wear masks. Some do, some don't. No one really takes responsibility. I, when I'm running, I'm not wearing a mask. And now I'm thinking maybe I should. Like in New York, you have to wear a mask when you run around Central Park. I, w- I was told that everybody's in masks all over nonstop and no one's judging. In Florida, and we saw some athletes come out and talk about this, that they feel judged by wearing masks and people are looking at them. And that is what happens in Florida, maybe not as much in South Florida, but certainly throughout the state. I guess I wonder wh- what's the end game? Do we want to just stay in this pattern of increased COVID positive tests? I don't know. I don't. I really don't. So in order for the bubble to work for all of us, it has nothing to do with where the bubble is located. It wouldn't matter if the bubble were in Iowa or Nebraska or California or Florida. The concept is that once you're in, you're in and you don't leave. You don't cross the line, a line. But crossing the line is not just a physical line. It's crossing the line in terms of your behavior. And that's the biggest question mark we have with players going forward is are they going to decide that they don't want to cross that line? Right now, it's just practice. It doesn't matter as much. But the games are going to start, and then we're going to find there's going to be a problem. So, Rashawn, I close with this. When you hear Diana Ross and the Supremes singing in your ear and they say, stop in the name of COVID
1: and think it over. Turn around, get on your phone and order in.
0: Wait to see is a subject that we do here on Nothing Personal. We like to, uh, Tell you what we think is happening, what we think is going to happen. We'll put a hard, firm date to it, and then we will tell you whether we were right or wrong. I can't mention this enough on nothing personal the fact that accountability matters. I'm fine when I'm wrong. I'm fine when I can't think of something. This is an unscripted show. I don't have a prompter. We have some topics we talk about. I come to you for 45 minutes every day, and I'm going to be wrong. There's no doubt about it, and I'm fine with you DMing me, tweeting at me, Instagram, screaming at the top of your lungs. It's not crossing the line for you to tell me when I'm wrong or when I get to wait to see wrong. So my wait to see today is a little early in the show, but it's a topic I don't want to wait on, and it's this. Yesterday, news came in baseball that David Ross, the new manager of the Chicago Cubs, was not able to attend his team's workout at Wrigley, and five other Cubs were not as well. What happened? Did they test positive? Are they sick? Do they have an excused absence? Did they have some hamstring issues? Maybe a little fibula soreness? Maybe the sort of oblique? No. What happened was there were pending test results and they had not gotten their test results back from their most recent COVID test. And in an abundance of caution, they decided that they would not participate in the team workout. So my way to see is that there will be no player once the regular season starts and into the postseason. I can promise you that not one player. So this way to see will not end until the season ends. There will not be one player in Major League Baseball who misses a regular postseason game because of a delayed test result. It's not going to happen. I respect that David Ross was doing that for a workout. But if you've got five or six of your players in your active roster, and they're awaiting test results, and there's a game coming, they're going to play. That's just how it is. It is necessary for MLB to get its act together and get test results back faster. You can't have players or staff waiting for results. It's got to be a day turnaround. So you test in the afternoon, you get it back. So what happens? How does it work? Let's say you have a three-game series on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday you get tested every other day. You got tested Monday. You get the results back Tuesday. You're negative. You play Tuesday. You then test Wednesday. But the results Wednesday will not be back before Wednesday night's game. Now you tested negative on Monday. Are you going to play until you have a positive test? Yes. Yes unless you have symptoms, which is why they do the temperature check and they do the questionnaire. Have you been in contact with anyone who has COVID? Do you have any sort of symptoms? How's your head? Are you coughing? Are you sneezing?
1: Why aren't they doing that during workouts? Are they saying that it's
0: not a safe enough protocol for workouts, but it is a safe enough protocol once the game starts? Will the abundance of caution that existed during the workouts disappear when the games count? And boy, do they count in a maximum 60-game season. I think the way it should work is you test negative, you play. Now, granted, there are asymptomatic people who can spread. There are people who are negative yesterday who will be positive today or tomorrow. But at some point, you can't test every 10 seconds. I believe they should be testing every day but every other day is what it is. They will do it. David Ross should have been at his workout because what he's doing is showing the world that the entire basis of the health and safety protocol is actually not good enough. How do we also know it's not good enough? Because a leak came out yesterday that was MLB's worst nightmare. No, that's too much hyperbole, Coca. Not their worst nightmare. It's their 20th to worst nightmare. Pandemic related. I say pandemic related because their worst nightmare would have to do with players actively gambling on a game and throwing a game. That would be their worst nightmare. No, no, that'd be their second worst nightmare. Their worst nightmare is they're forced to cancel games and the season and not get any money from it. So their 20th worst nightmare came true when the Arizona Diamondbacks somehow made it public, it got leaked, it got told, it was discussed that they are using their own outside testing laboratories to test their players. Now, the Diamondbacks claimed that it was a belt and suspenders type of thing. The Diamondbacks said, listen, we are going through MLB testing and protocols, but just to give our players the maximum level of comfort when they feel a little a little tickle, when they feel a little eh, Eh, or they're coughing, or they got a little fever. They think they have a fever. They may have a fever. One thermometer said 102. One said 99. One said 100. They do the forehead. They do the ear. They do the kepi. They do the ANAL. You know, you get different readings under the armpit. So the Diamondbacks said, you know, go ahead. You can go to this testing site. How did the Diamondbacks come up with which testing site in Phoenix to go to? Well, they worked in conjunction with their medical practitioners, and they chose sites that have the same type of protocol as the MLB-approved testing sites. Hmm. Okay. Well, if there are local sites that can get results back faster than sending labs to Utah, then why wouldn't... MLB doctors be working with local doctors to let local teams go to local testing facilities. Hold on. Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, yeah. MLB promised it would not tax the system in order to play its games. MLB promised that they would not use any public resources and that the lab in Utah was purposed by MLB. It wasn't helping the public. It was purposed for MLB. And the subcontractors of the Utah lab, there's one in New Jersey, they may have others come online trying to speed the process of getting test results, trying to make sure there's no snafu like the July 4th holiday. Oh, my God, FedEx doesn't pick up on a Sunday snafu. No public resources will be taken from the general public to get our season underway. That's been clear. That's been like a condition precedent to playing baseball. So the Diamondbacks trying to say, Just so you know, we have not in any way taken any resources away from the public. Huh? Now, I'm not critiquing it because it doesn't matter to me if it's an MLB player getting tested who lives in Phoenix, or if it's a restaurateur, or a bicyclist, or a healthcare worker, or a home care worker, or a professional masseuse. If there's testing, there's testing and there needs to be testing. So if you're a citizen of Arizona, what's your job? I play for the Diamondbacks. That's a job. It's a nice job, but it's a job nonetheless. So I'm not sure that that's taken away because it's not thousands and thousands of tests that are then taxing the system in one area. But baseball cannot Let go control in this instance. They can't have teams going off and certifying other testing facilities that they themselves have not certified. They can't have teams doing their own medical protocols saying, We are going to now allow the player to get tested here because what's the player doing when he goes to get tested? You're in your car, your window's up, you've got the mask, you've got the gloves, they roll the window down, they stick the q tip all the way up into the brain. I understand, but you're still not where you're supposed to be. In theory, for baseball to work and for this sort of non-bubble bubble to work, you've got to have baseball players going to the ballpark, going home, to the ballpark, home, ballpark, home, home, ballpark, plane, hotel, ballpark, hotel, ballpark, plane, ballpark, home. It's going to be interesting. Who would want to be an owner given what's going on in sports right now? Raise your hand, A-Rod. You want to be an owner, JLo? Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're sure. Yes, you are. News came out yesterday that A. Rod and JLo are putting their group together. Now we knew they bid on the Mets. We knew that they had around a $1.6, one point seven million uh, billion dollar bid. The Mets had a deal for two point six billion with Steve Cohn. Steve Cohn is now rebidding it around two billion because the $2.6 deal fell apart. Bunch of finalists for the Mets. Why are we talking A-Rod and J-Lo again? Because here's what they're doing. Just announced yesterday, and it was a fun one. A-Rod and J-Lo have gotten a bunch of athletes to join their ownership group. They released a bunch of names, a bunch of current football players, a bunch of Old Hall of Fame football players like Brian Erlacher, a basketball player, current Bradley Beal, all sorts of players joining A Rod and J Lo's bid. Brian Erlacher gave a quote that he shouldn't be giving, talking to, because if you want to be an owner of a major league baseball team and you haven't yet been approved, words of the wise, shut up, don't talk. You gotta go straight Aaron Burr. Listen more, talk less. Is it talk less, listen more? Talk less, listen more. Don't let them know what you are for. I think I'm missing a few words there, Coca. In any case, Brian Urlacher said it would be an honor. Who wouldn't want to join A-Rod and J-Lo? They are committed. How cool is it to own a team? I feel it's my responsibility to explain to Brian Erlacher, Bradley Beal, and everyone who's reading about all these big name athletes joining the A-Rod bid, let me explain what's happening. When you bid $1.7 billion for a team, you actually don't need to write a check for $1.7 billion. So, 1.7, if that's your bid, is called an enterprise valuation of a team. And from that number, there are deductions that happen. So let's say that you've got money that you're borrowing from a bank and you can borrow up to $500 million in this transaction. Okay, now I need to come up with $1.2 billion. Now, let's say that there was already debt existing with the Mets, which there is, and it's franchise-related debt. Let's say it's $250 million. So, you take $1.2 because we went from $1.7 to $1.2, remember? Now, you take another $200 million off, you're down to $1 billion. Then, there are other adjustments that take place. Let's pretend that the Mets were paying a player for the next, like, 20 years. Let's say they had deferred comp to a player. Just take any player. Let me give you an example. Let me think. All right, is there any player who the Mets are paying? Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Wait for it. Ah, Bobby Bonilla. Let's just take him. Let's pretend that Bobby Bonilla, every July 1st, gets paid a million dollars by the Mets until the year 2030. So if you're buying the Mets right now, you look at their documents. You get the, the right to look at their confidential financial information. You don't go on Twitter. You don't Google it. You see right there on a piece of paper that the Mets owe Bobby Bonilla $1 million every July 1st. A-Rod, really his attorneys, trust me, it's not A-Rod or j or Erlbeck or Beale or any of them. The attorney would say to the Mets attorney, listen, um, we're not paying Bobby Bonilla. That was your contract, he's not even a current day asset. That's a straight liability. We don't want to assume that liability. So you're gonna have to give us a million dollars every year until 2030. And we'll give that million dollars to Bonilla because we're going to be the Mets going forward. And Bonilla wants to get paid by the Mets. But I don't want to come running to you, Fred and Jeff Wilpon, until the year 2030. So let's say that there are 10 more payments at a million dollars. There's 10 more million owed to Bonilla. We'll present value it to today. We'll we'll agree on a discount rate, which means we're calculating what a million dollars a year for 10 years is worth today. And let's pretend it's worth $9.3 million. We're going to take $9.3 million down from the billion, and we then will be responsible to pay Bonilla $1 million a year. There are 50 or 75 other issues like that, which are called purchase price adjustments. Those adjustments come off the $1.7 billion, which went down to $1.2 billion because you're borrowing $500 million, which went down to $1 billion because you're assuming $200 million in debt, which went to under $993 million. Keep going. So let's say you end up with a number of $800 million. That is what the group led by A Rod literally has to write a check for when they close and buy the Mets. So what they then have to prove to baseball and to the Wilpons is that they've got people where you put them all together, they will all write a check on the day of closing, it actually is a wire, but they will agree they're going to all pull their money together and they'll come up with $883 million. The Wilpons get that
1: $883 million and they give the mess. There's about
0: 10 more complications there. But for purposes of this story, what A Rod has been doing this entire time is going around and trying to raise that money because he wants to be the control partner, which I told you he won't be, but he wants to be an owner of the Mets. So let's say he's putting in 100 million. JLo's putting in 100 million. They got Vinny Viola to put in 200 million. The owner of the Florida Panthers here in my area in uh, Fort Lauderdale and Broward. They got the um, John Rapo to put in another 200 million. So now we're up to 600 million dollars. Well, wait, there's still 200 million dollars short under my math equation. A Rod and JLo go to the Rolodex. By the way, I'm eating so much hair. I don't know if you're watching this or listening to this the hair from my beard and mustache is permanently in my mouth and it's making me insane. You're seeing me pick at it if you're watching on YouTube. I'm literally going crazy. So Arod and Jayla were out raising money from individuals. But they're not raising it in large increments. There's now, it's all relative, right? 3 million here, 5 million here, 6 million here, maybe 10 million there. So or Beal, when they say that they are joining and A-Rod and JLo come to this unbelievable list of owners, they're not putting in a super huge amount of money. I mean, listen, rumors are Michael Jordan is one of the owners of the Marlins. Huh? Wonder how much money he put in. Huh? Not that much. There are all types of celebrity owners of teams all over the place. Remember back in the day when the Miami Dolphins had Venus and Serena Williams and Mark Anthony and a bunch of other local celebrities as part owners of the team and they would walk the red carpet in Miami and it would all be very exciting. And then Stephen Ross sort of realized "Hmm, people don't actually care about that. People care about winning games. So the message I have for you, A. Rod and J. Lo is the Wilpons don't Care at all about your exciting list of athletes. It is not giving you a leg up. Now, there are reports that Jeff Wilpon has gone public saying that he wants to sell the team to A-Rod. Sources. It's sources. It's in the quiet of the back room of City Field. That's like me saying I wanted to sell to Jeb Bush. Or I wanted Jeffrey Laurie, the owner of the team, to sell to Jeb Bush. I couldn't care less. Literally. I couldn't care less who bought the Marlins. We were trying to get the biggest price. And the 23 votes needed to confirm the sale. You think Jeff Wilpon for one second prefers A-Rod and j and is going to take a bid 100 or $200 million lower because he wants to screw Steve Cohn because he had such a public fight with him? It's not going to happen. The job of the partnership is, And the Wilpons are in a partnership with Steve Cohn, ironically enough. The job is to get the highest price you can. Steve Cohn is a limited partner of the Mets. He could say to the general partner of the Mets, Wilpon, how could you sell to A-Rod for 1.7 when you had another buyer at 2 billion? That's unacceptable. You left $300 million on the table. I own 10% of the team. Give me my $30 million. Will Pond doesn't care who he sells to. And A-Rod, your bit doesn't get better because you're a Brian Erlacher. Nice guy, by the way. Bradley Beal, great guy. Great names to have. Do you know what they have to do to become owners? Here's a little side note, Coca. They have to fill out so many forms that their eyes are going to start rolling to the top of their head. They have to be approved by Major League Baseball. There's an office within Major League Baseball about 10 steps below the commissioner where they go through and they vet all the individual partners who are trying to buy a team. So there are forms that have to be filled out. So here's the phone call from A-Rod to uh, Bradley Beal or Brian Urlacher. Hey, um, Bri, Bra, you're going to get an email from MLB. Don't spam it. Open it. You're going to want to get lawyers because the forms are extensive. You're going to have to disclose every penny you have, every entity in which you have an ownership interest. You're going to have to disclose a lot more than your last known address. We're going to need a real cell phone number, not a burner phone. And we're going to need some bank statements, not the kind of bank statements used in a family dispute. I'm talking about actual
1: actuals. I mean, no one would do that. That's against the law, of course. It's a pain in the neck
0: wait to see. It's not a wait to see. It's just A-Rod and J-Lo. They announced all these stars and people got excited. I didn't. Didn't make it. Didn't matter to me. This segues, by the way, into so you want to talk to Samson. This was a question given to me. So you want to talk to Samson is when you go into my DMs on David P. Samson, Twitter or Instagram, David P. Samson and ask a question. And this was a great question for today. I like answering. It's from a movie, Half-Baked.
1: <sighs>
0: and I'm currently at 0%. When I hear or read about team valuations, is the reported amount for the general partnership interest or does it include the LP interest as well? I wonder who asked that question. It's a perfect question to segue from the A-Rod lo situation. When I hear or read about team valuations, is the reported amount for the GP interest or does it include the LP interest? Okay, here's how it works in a baseball team and many other businesses. There is a partnership that owns a business. That means it's more than one person who have gotten together and they have formed a partnership. And that partnership has a business to run. And that business is the business that they purchase. So let's say that me and Coca, we decide that we are going to form a partnership and that partnership is going to buy a sports team. We have to decide between me and Coca, who's going to be the general partner and who's going to be the limited partner. The general partner is the partner in charge of running the business. He makes all the decisions. He's got the fiduciary duties. He is the one or she or the they or the They are in charge. The limited partner is just that. You own a part of the business, whatever your percentage is, but you have no say in the operation. That makes you limited. So if Coca, if our business costs a dollar and Coca puts in 49 cents and I put in 49 cents, that's 98 cents. Why didn't I say 50-50? Because The money that we put in goes toward limited partnership shares. We are both limited partners in the number of shares we own, but that's 98% of the business. What about the other 2%? That's the general partnership. So if I'm going to be the general partner, then I would put in the extra two cents. So I've now put in 51 cents. Coca's put in 49 cents. That's a hundred cents. That's a dollar. We've got our business. My 51% will be running the team as the general partner. But is it true that the general partner always has to own more shares than the limited partners? No. In fact... In very many instances, like the Marlins, let's say, the general partnership interest owned a fraction of the team. But Jeffrey, as a limited partner, Jeffrey Loria, owned the majority. He owned 97% of the Marlins. As a limited partner, he had partners that owned the other 3%. But he had a general partnership that was part of that collective 100. So let's say it was 96 to 3 to 1 to do the math right. So to be a general partner, you don't have to own the most, but that interest is the most powerful interest that exists because it's the interest that gives people the control. So when you ask a question about the general partnership and whether or not that is worth more, the answer is it is worth way more than any limited partnership share because of the control that comes with it. So if you buy that general partnership piece, you are going to pay a tremendous premium. But when you read these numbers all over 1.7 billion, 1.2 billion, 1 billion, 800 million, 2.6 billion, 4 billion, you are reading numbers that are called enterprise valuations. Enterprise valuations include all debt and all equity. So if our company That Coca and I bought, we bought it for a dollar. And we're running the company and we have to put in another dollar. That means we're now in the company for two dollars. If we sell for a dollar fifty, you may be saying, Wow. We sold for a dollar 50, we bought it for a dollar, we made money, but you're not taking into account the fact that we had to put in another dollar, so we're really into the company for 2 dollars. We bought it for a dollar, we spent a dollar trying to run it, we only got a dollar 50 when we sold it. That means we've actually lost 50 cents. So when you see numbers that are bandied about, not only does it not mean that's what the profit is that the seller gets, you also don't know if that's what the amount of money that the seller gets. Back to me and Coca, we bought the company for a dollar. We put in forty. He put in forty nine cents. I put in fifty one cents. We then needed a dollar to run the company. We didn't have another dollar. We borrowed a dollar from the bank. The bank gives us a dollar. We put the dollar in the company. We only sell for a dollar fifty. Guess who gets the dollar back immediately? The bank does. The bank gets a dollar. We're only left with fifty cents total. That fifty cents has to be split between the two of us he gets 25 cents, I get 25 cents. If we own 50-50, we own fifty one forty nine. So I'd get 51% of the 25 cents, which is about 12 and three quarters cents. Coca, I'll take 12 cents. When you see numbers, you have to look at the detail. You have to get specific because otherwise you don't have any information to go by. When you read that the Mets are going to sell for $2.4 billion, that doesn't mean the Wilpons collected $2.4 billion. As a matter of fact, it's a guarantee they didn't. And it doesn't mean that A-Rod had to get together, whoever the winning bidder is, and literally wire $2.4 billion from their savings account. That's not how it works. Now, what about the LPs? They do the same wiring, but they operate under a different set of rules. Sometimes the rules are when the company needs an extra dollar, there could be a rule where Coca says, I'm a limited partner. I'm not going to give you my share of that extra dollar we need to run the company because I'm just a limited partner. And the rule is as a general partner, you've got to put all the money in because you're the one in charge. Lots of rules. They're not difficult to understand. You just have to read them and don't necessarily judge a book by its purchase price cover. After the break, we may do some more singing. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you if you're watching on YouTube, subscribing to the YouTube channel, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing on Apple. Five stars, by the way, end of month. We're halfway through July. End of month, make sure that you rate and review. And in your review, you can ask a question. I do an end of month mailbag pod where I answer your questions different than So You Want to Talk to Sampson. It's a whole pod devoted to specific, interesting questions that you may have that you put on your Apple review. Thank you. This message brought to you by Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Did I get the name wrong? Why am I thinking about Judd Nelson? Hmm. I'm thinking of Judd Nelson because I'm thinking about St. Elmo's Fire. And I'm thinking about St. Elmo's Fire because I'm thinking about David Foster. David Foster, the theme from St. Elmo's Fire, dun-dun. When Emilio Estevez goes to get Andy McDowell, they play this amazing music. It, like, hit the top of the charts. Not Man in Motion by John Parr, the instrumental. That was done by David Foster. I watched a movie, a documentary called David Foster Off the Record. Get it off the record because he's a record producer. David Foster is one of the top record producers of all time. What's interesting about David Foster is that there are people, when I tell people that I saw a documentary about David Foster, here's the worst response you can give me David Foster. David Foster, that's the guy from The Real Housewives. Do you know how pathetic it is that you only know David Foster from that? Now, he did great on that. He was married to a real housewife, they got divorced. He's now married to Nanny McPhee. And um, hold on, that's very funny. He is not married to Nanny McPhee. That is a movie with Emma Thompson. He's married to Catherine McPhee. <laughs> Coca. That makes me laugh. Okay, so Coco is telling me that it's Catherine McPhee. And he's also telling me as we were preparing for the show that he has no idea who David Foster is. And what's sad about that is that if he watched the documentary, which I'm asking him to do, which, by the way, he is the worst. He won't watch any of the movies that we suggest. David Foster had a hand in producing some of the most famous songs, whether it's by Tony Braxton, Whitney Houston, all the way, his whole career. He was a hitmaker. Remember we reviewed Clive Davis? Do you remember Clive Davis? Coca, do you remember that show? Were you paying attention? Were you in the bathroom? Were you mowing your apartment rug? Nothing. He doesn't remember. We did Clive Davis, the soundtrack of our lives. Well, if you watch that, then the double feature is David Foster off the record. So the interesting thing about David Foster, he's been married five times. And it talks a little bit about why he did what he did, both from a marriage standpoint And from a record producing standpoint, it talked a little about his childhood and his drive to succeed. He has an ear and a talent that you just can't match. You can't figure out. He worked nonstop. He was always in the studio and he called himself a runner. And what he meant is that anytime anything gets tough, he doesn't like personal conflict. He doesn't like conflict at all. So when that happens, he just runs. He leaves his marriage. He leaves his kids. He divorced each wife when his kids were like five or six years old. So he has a bunch of kids from a bunch of different people. He's now married to someone younger than than many, if not all of his kids and they all get along. It's a pretty phenomenal story. And it was interesting that he had that sort of self-awareness to say that he's a runner and meaning that in his brilliance in musical producing, the reality is that when it comes to personal relationships, he just didn't know how to function. And Catherine McPhee, his current wife, the famous Catherine McPhee said, I'm trying to be helpful and I don't know if it will work. And my message to her is it's unlikely to ever work. Once a runner, always a runner. Could you be the final final? Could you be the Annette Benning for his Warren Beatty? It's possible. Not out of the question. Co. could you even get that reference? Warren Beatty is an actor uh, and he was a major Lothario, major playboy. And he married Annette Benning, who he met on, the, on um, uh, Bugsy, which is a great movie in my top 100. And he stopped being a Playboy, apparently, and he's been married to Annette Benning ever since, and she's much younger, maybe 25 years younger, and he's now in his 80s, maybe, and they've got kids, and he stayed married. So is it possible this is it for David Foster? That's only part of the movie. The best part of the movie is realizing the number of hits that he produced. It is mind-boggling. Clive Davis discovered musicians. David Foster made hits you'd like me to point out to you, Coca Wood, that he's 70 and McPhee is 36. So that's a 34 year age gap. And he does have kids over 34. David Foster off the record. Um, please, please watch it. ML Beer Challenge Day 121. I complained early in the show. I had a, uh, a bowl of cereal with uh, raspberries and strawberries and a smoothie with uh, fruit through a straw. And I got a hair from the left side of my mouth that was stuck in my mouth as I put the spoon in my mouth, and I bit down to bite a strawberry, and I was angry. We are nine days away, Coca. We, on day 130, we shave. There better be opening day. Nothing personal, word of the day. I'm not going crazy. I'm ending the show with another nothing personal word of the day. It's a bonus word, folks. Nothing personal word of the day. Bastille. As in Bastille Day. Today is le 14 juillet. 14 means 14. Juillet means July. It's le 14 juillet. It's the greatest day of celebration in France. It's called Bastille Day. I wanted to tell a quick story about Bastille Day because I was lucky enough to work in Paris for many years. I love France. I used to love Bastille Day. It's a huge celebration. And until nothing personal, I never focused on what the hell it was. I thought it was July 4th. I thought it was our Independence Day. That is not at all what Bastille Day is. July 14th, 1789. I want to bring you back to that day. That is when French people actually did two things. One, they stormed Les Invalides. They call it the Hotel Les Invalides. If we're ever allowed into France again, and you're ever lucky enough to go to Paris, you go to a place called the Invalides, and guess what you'll see there? Yes, who's buried in Napoleon's tomb? Ask yourself that question. So, people went to Les Invalides, and what they were doing is they were trying to get firearms and cannons because they were participating in a revolution. And so, they went to Les Invalides, they stormed the castle, basically, like Princess Bride, in order to get the firearms and the cannons. But what do you need when you have firearms and cannons? You need inventory. That's not the word, coca. There's a word for bullets and gunpowder, I, uh, ammunition. That's what was located in the Bastille. So the people then, the French people, stormed the Bastille on July 14, 1789 to get ammunition. Interestingly enough, they did free a couple prisoners. So it was sort of freedom as the French Revolution was happening. And there was a lot going on with the French Revolution. But the main purpose was not for freedom at that moment. The main purpose was to arm up because they needed a militia. They were doing a full revolution and the revolution they did do. July 14th, Bastille Day didn't even become a holiday for over 100 years after 1789. It took 100 years for them to say, you know what, let's mark July 14th, 1789, we'll mark all j- future July 14th as Bastille Day, and so they did. When France was getting together, this is the time of Louis and the beheading and the French Revolution. They're storming the castle. They're storming still they they don't know it's going to be a holiday. They don't know what the meaning is where it's going to end. They don't know that July 14th is going to be famous. They were way before their time. And they had my show our show totally backwards. Because for them when they're trying to get freedom it was completely personal.